Good morning, everyone. On the line with me is Meredith Trainer, the Executive Director of the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council. Good morning, Meredith. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. It is a beautiful morning in Juneau. It, it, it definitely is a little cold, but I'll take the sun too yeah, with it. definitely cold. <laughs> now, I read from your report from the quarterly newsletter there, Raven Call, you highlighted the importance of this year's midterm and how it relates to climate policy. Could you share that thought with us? Absolutely. So um, as many folks know, next week on Tuesday is Election Day, and there's quite a number of important races uh, for people to uh, get out and vote on, as well as um, a potential uh, convention that that folks might be interested in hearing more about. Um, And what we were talking about in the Raven Call, which is our twice annual uh, newsletter, is that um, this election is a really important one for the way that it will impact our ability to move forward on some of our environmental priorities, but also for the way that it impacts all of us here in Southeast Alaska and in the United States um, in terms of seeing uh, whether we see continued uh, conservation forward policies from the Biden administration and from the current Congress, or whether we perhaps see a move backwards towards um, the actions of the more of sort of in line with the Trump administration. So it's a really important election next week on Tuesday. And the main thing that we are encouraging to, people to do is to make sure to get out the vote um, and tying the fact that our votes really do matter and that we want to make sure that people are getting out and voting so that they can have a say in who makes decisions about their future here in Southeast and in America. Now, I recall the Biden administration had rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement and also committed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent by 2030. So how will the elections determine if these initiatives can continue? You, you mentioned the role Congress will play. Yeah, so it's, you know, in terms of um, when we think about the executive seat, so the, the president in this case, um, a president's ability, as, as a lot of people know, to uh, enact their policies, their reforms, and, for example, to continue with something like the climate agreement uh, is informed very much by who is in office in the Senate and the House and by the control of those two bodies. And so, you know, if we see continued leadership by Democrats in the Senate and the House, it'll be easier for Biden to pass or advance different, you know, policy pieces. Um, And so an example there could be for him to continue more confidently to make commitments around climate, Um, whereas having, you know, a House or a House and Senate that are in opposition that are held by the Republicans might make it a lot harder for him to advance pieces of his commitments. Because, you know, what we see when it comes to climate agreements is that the country makes a commitment to work to decrease our the amount of carbon that we're putting out into the environment and to address climate change. But the way that that commitment is enacted is through legislation over time and through individual actions, and sometimes at the level of the state, um, but often uh, in coordination with sort of federal legislation, and so therefore informed by Congress and by the actions taken by Congress. And uh, I know with the Paris Agreement, when the administration had uh, changed over uh, when we were in the Trump administration, they had uh, pulled us out of the Paris Climate Agreement. And so is, would that be the concern in, in a midterm election like this right now or perhaps for the election after? 
Yeah, so because um, the president is not up for re-election at this time, you know, we know we have kind of a steady hand there for two more years. But like I said, the House and Senate, how that turns out, can influence what the president is and is not able to do. But definitely in another two years, um, we will be voting again on the position of president. And at that time, um, absolutely, it could go back and forth. And we know that, you know, it really doesn't do us any favors in the court of international public opinion for the U.S. to kind of constantly be changing its positions. And it makes it really hard to take definitive action on climate change, which is what's needed at this time. Now, we've heard the congressional candidates here in Alaska are in agreement on the importance of sustainable fisheries. So it must be a big enough issue if they can all agree. Uh, Tell us what your hopes are to further policy in that area. Yeah, you know, I think it's been interesting watching this election because we've had um, the new role of ranked choice voting. Uh, And as, as anyone who's paying attention to the political space will have observed, you know, uh, Mary Peltola being elected as the first Alaska Native uh, representative to Congress um, and first Alaska Native woman representative to Congress was a really big deal. And one of her policy priorities is, you know, she says she's pro-fish, pro-family, pro-choice, and I think it's pro-jobs, if I remember correctly. Um, and so being pro-fish in Alaska is, of course, incredibly important. You know, we want to see um, more action and ter- more leadership from our congressional representatives always in terms of protecting our fish um, and in terms of looking at climate change, because you really can't um, protect, you know, whether you're looking at fish or looking at deer, um, it's not easy anymore to protect those species and to take action to ensure that they continue to be available for us, both as a cultural resource, as a food resource, um, and, and just for you know, to ensure their continued existence as species and as wildlife in Alaska, um, unless you're working to address climate change as well. It seemed like a lot of the discussion around sustainable fisheries focused on uh, getting more information on the status of fisheries and taking action at a federal level to further that. Uh, I wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've heard uh, time after time is that there's not enough data, for example, on salmon when they go out into the ocean about what's happening to them out there before they return. You know, we've seen diminished returns over time um, for salmon in southeast Alaska, just in sort of over the the time period of history, of historic time. Um, and I think that there's we need to be able to understand more what's happening to those salmon when they're out in the ocean. We know that climate change in some cases is driving changes in the way that different predators eat or what they eat in the ocean. So that could be a factor. Um, But we're also learning more now about the way that climate change is affecting the range of different species. And we, we often think about that in terms of, you know, the range of species on land, like where a moose goes or where a deer goes. Um, But that, that likewise happens in the ocean as well as the ocean uh, warms and also becomes more acidic. So definitely an area for for more research and for more federal funding. And I think that's where this ties to election outcomes and where the public should be thinking about how they cast their vote is, you know, which of the candidates that you're looking at are going to prioritize the issues that are important to you? What have they said about those issues? And who do you think is in a position to kind of advance the work um, around, for example, 
learning more about fisheries and doing more supporting fisheries science at a federal level. And that can include like bringing money back to Alaska with which Alaskans, the Alaskan congressional delegation is sort of famous slash infamous for um, is, you know, bringing money back to the state to help fund uh, some of the research that needs to happen. To come down from a federal level, I saw recently that SEAC held their questionnaires to state legislative candidates. What, did you hear in common among those you polled? That's right. Our, we have a great um, new climate uh, program manager, Matt Jackson, who uh, sent out a questionnaire to some of the candidates to learn more about their positions um, on environmental issues. There are actually a number of organizations that have done uh, candidate surveys. Uh, I know Renewable Juno has done them in the past. I haven't seen recently um, what their position was, but um, folks can learn a little bit more about uh, that project and those outcomes by reaching out to our climate uh, program manager, Matt Jackson. He'd be the person to talk to about that. Well, we talked about the importance of federal elections and their impact on climate policy. How do you see state lawmakers making a difference? You know, it's a really interesting moment for the state, and I, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling a little hopeful. There's there's quite a number of new legislators that are going to be coming into office this year. I heard, and this is indirect, so I probably shouldn't say it, but I heard that something in the vicinity of a third of the state legislators will be new to their roles this year because of candidates or or sort of experienced legislators deciding not to run again. Uh, and so it's going to be a really interesting time when when we see new uh, representatives, new state senators uh, settling into their new roles. Uh, there's a real opportunity for them to kind of establish themselves and make themselves known for the issues that they really want to champion, the, the issues that made them decide to run. And so it'll be an interesting time seeing um, all these individuals that get that are elected next week. Uh, stepping into those new roles and uh, sort of joining their more experienced uh, colleagues in the state legislature here in Juneau. I believe last time we had talked about the we had talked about what we've been hearing around the uh, roadless rule and that state land was being used to log, even though the intent was to have the area not be logged. So do you think maybe that'll be a topic taken up in the next session, or is that something you'd like to see taken up? Yeah, definitely. I think we'd like to have more engagement from the legislature around natural resources issues writ large. Um, not only more participation in talking about logging and potentially having um, hearings or committee sessions devoted to talking about state logging policies, but also uh, there's an opportunity to look into the work of the different departments that, of the state of Alaska and to understand, get a better understanding of how they're doing their work. For example, um, the Department of Environmental Conservation has the responsibility for regulatory oversight under the Clean Water Act. So they're supposed to make sure that Alaska is sticking to the, re- the requirements of the National Clean Water Act in terms of what we do here in state. So that's everything from looking at um, water quality, so, you know, who's dumping into water where and how is it impacting the fish, how is it impacting the, the, our ability to drink the water, um, and then also looking at air quality, 
Uh, and so there's a lot of space there, I think, for new legislators that are interested in those issues to really dig in and understand what, uh, for example, DEC is doing and where they could be doing better and what's needed to kind of push us further along in that direction of doing an even better job of protecting our air and water. Now to come to the next level here, uh, Meredith, could local policymakers play a role, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, on something like logging, uh, it can be a little bit more difficult. But we've actually just seen in Prince of Wales, the community of Whale Pass organized uh, to fight a state timber sale that was supposed to happen literally in their backyard. So you have Whale Pass, this pretty small, uh, but still pretty fabulous community on Prince of Wales, very remote. Uh, and they have this planned logging operation. And, you know, there's a photo one of my staffers took where you can see a tree that's been marked to be logged and you can see someone's house like just behind it. Uh, and so that community really just came together and put pressure on local elected officials um, and on the state and the governor's office and said, you know, we really don't want to see this this logging go forward. We really want to have more of a say in what happens in our community. And so absolutely, you know, I, I think at SEAC we are a, a grassroots advocacy organization and our job is to help people engage in public process from the local in their municipalities and their communities and their towns all the way up on up to the federal, making sure that their voices are heard in the halls of Congress and that Congress is listening and is responding accordingly to the wishes of Southeast Alaskans. That's what SEAC is all about. And so I really, I believe strongly that it's important for community members to, ha to engage with their elected officials at all of those levels of government. Uh, and that, that, that's why it's so important to get out the vote this year and to get out the vote next week on Tuesday, uh, because it's really important to decide who represents you in office and not just to let it happen, to be in a position where you're thinking about who supports and addresses the issues you care about and then to get out and vote. And just as a reminder for anyone who's listening, if you've registered for the PFD, you're registered to vote unless you opted out. That opt out is a little bit of a pain to do, so it's a kind of a fair assumption that if you've if you're registering for your PFD, if you're getting your PFD um, because of a resolution that was passed in 2016, a proposition that was passed in 2016, you're registered and able to vote, and all you have to do is show up next week. Um, but there's also early early voting is an option as well. So kind of an awesome opportunity to shape the next few years in our state uh, and federally, and then in our region. Thank you for that reminder. So all of us have no excuse to go to the ballot box next week or sooner. Yeah, no excuse. And get you know, make sure, ask your boss to let you go if you're not sure that they'll let you go during work hours. But I think, uh, you know, I, I would invite other employers out there at SEAC. We encourage our staff to get out and go vote during their work hours. It's, it's their sort of duty as citizens of our country. And so, you know, I, I would encourage other employers to encourage their employees to go vote. Don't tell them who to vote for. That's not really your business. But uh, tell them to get out there and get to the ballot box and make it okay to do that during work time. Uh, now, Meredith, to take, a, to take a break from the election here, I understand the Deer Summit that was held over there at Prince of Wales was, was held. How did it go? 
Yeah, there we recently were part of a deer summit that was put on in Prince of Wales to look at um, the game management unit two uh, sort of deer related issues on Prince of Wales. Game management unit two is the main island of Prince of Wales and the small surrounding islands. Um, and SEAC uh, was pleased to to partner with the Nature Conservancy, the Forest Service. And a number of other partners, uh, Craig Tribal was deeply involved and also played, was the host to the event. Um, and the idea of the summit, which we talked about previously on this program, was that we wanted to bring together all of the different um, individuals and types of user groups that are impacted by what's happening to the deer population on Prince of Wales. You know, people on Prince of Wales really rely on deer to fill their freezers. And, and to feed their families, especially over the course of the year. And so it was a really incredible event, a really neat opportunity to have totally open conversations between, you know, trappers and the Forest Service or uh, conservation groups and subsistence hunters. Um, there was a sort of strong representation from the Alaska Native community in, on Prince of Wales in the meeting, uh, and it was just, it was an incredible conversation that I think we need to have more of in Southeast Alaska in terms of bringing together the whole myriad of users to talk about what we're seeing out on the landscape. Because often the folks who are getting out on the land, who are hunting, who are fishing, who are paying attention to the change in the seasons like we are right now, uh, are the ones who know the most about what's happening on the landscape and can have a lot to share and bring to the table for decision makers to think about when they think about how to manage something like a deer population. It sounds like it ties in a little bit of what we were talking about a moment ago, where it's getting the locals organized to then make their thoughts heard. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, sometimes when, when we're a, a citizen and we're kind of just going about our lives, it can be easy to not give yourself enough credit for what you know about the place where you live. But in particular in Southeast Alaska, um, you know, certainly on behalf, in terms of the Alaska Native community, um, but also in terms of other uh, users, in, the, in this case, hunters and fishers, there's an incredible depth of knowledge. And it's often anecdotal knowledge. I might be, I saw this, I noticed this, I noticed that this changed from year to year. But that type of information is incredibly important for uh, forest managers, for example, or for fish and game uh, staff who are making decisions about how many animals can be taken in a season. And so getting out to those kinds of events really creates an opportunity for sharing of knowledge. Um, and it also creates an opportunity for you know, the scientific community to share what they know and to think about how to share uh, scientific infor like information that's being created through scientific uh, method, like through going out and doing an experiment or collecting data. Um, it allows that information to be shared as well and gives scientists the opportunity to bring that to the table for a larger conversation. We have a, enough time here, and I wanted to give you a moment if you wanted to address. I heard SEAC had a recent loss, uh, Donald Ross, when we're talking about knowledge, I, I I wondered if there was some loss there after his passing. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. So, um, Siak had a longtime supporter pass away this summer. Uh, his name is Donald Ross, and he was someone who helped direct uh, funding and resources to Southeast Alaska over many years of his career 
uh, through supporting conservation here. He supported conservation in the region uh, for a number of organizations that was, or conservation work that was being done by a number of organizations. And he was just a great champion. So we used one of our articles in the Raven Call to tell a little bit about his story because it's so often the case that uh, there are so many community members out there and, you know, even in our community today who are doing advocacy work behind the scenes, who are connecting with fellow community members and trying to drive good decision-making about the future of our region. And while Donald Ross didn't live in Southeast Alaska, he was somebody who really helped champion funding, uh, finding its way here in order to support work like the work that SEAC does. So we just took a minute to honor him and to honor um, that incredible contribution he's made to conservation. And I think it's nice, you know, for those folks that are really behind the scenes, but that never waver in their steadfast support for a place like Southeast and for the continuity of us having forests that are intact and not clear cut. Um, It was nice to take a minute to honor him. And for those who would like to get involved in SEAC, how, how can they, or Maybe they want to get more than just involved. I, I've seen the help wanted signs around town, Meredith. I, I don't know if SEAC <laughs> is uh, exempt from that right now. Yeah, well, we've been considering ourselves. That's a great question. So we've been considering ourselves uh, fully staffed for a while, but recently we decided to add uh, two new positions. One is uh, permanent and one is temporary. So uh, the temporary one, if anyone's looking for a little work, we're hiring for a part-time administrative assistant for the next few months. But longer term, we're, we're really excited. We've just created a new role. Um, it's called the Aquan Area or Juno Community Organizer. And that person is going to be staffed um, or going to be hired to help coordinate public participation in local decision-making in the Aquan or Juno area. And so our thinking there, you know, like we were talking about before, public participation in decision-making is incredibly important. It's what makes uh, management decisions stronger and better. Um, And we get to participate in public comment processes through the NEPA process, that's the National Environmental Policy Act process, um, and through a myriad of other sort of state and local decision-making processes where You know, the state might say, we're going to do X, we're going to make this change, we're going to log in this place. And then usually there's a comment period or an opportunity for public participation somewhere in in these processes. And um, SEAC works to get the word out to community members to say, hey, this decision making is happening. Here's the proposed pathway. Here's how you can participate and share what you think. Kind of like when someone goes to a Juno Assembly meeting on a Monday night and says, you know, uses their three minutes to speak up and share their thoughts. And so we were finding that more and more there are um, a myriad of developments planned for Juno. Some good, some not so good, some we're just not sure yet, and we need to, we need to do more work to understand the implications of those developments. But we want to have the staff person out there in the community helping make sure that community members know when they have an opportunity to participate in these public processes, know what's proposed um, in terms of changes for our community, uh, and can really make their voices heard. So some of the types of issues uh, that we could see this role working on might include the proposed Cascade Point Ferry Terminal, which is supposed to be way out the road, even beyond the end of the road at current at present. Um, you know, making sure people have a say in the development 
in what's now the Huna Totem proposed dock development project. So that's a, that where Norwegian Cruise Lines bought that big dock property downtown. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the second crossing from Juneau to Douglas. Um, Mendenhall Glacier Visitor Center is making changes. There's some early mine exploration out at Herbert River Trail. And so as we were seeing all of these different developments start to pile up, you know, it, it became clear that there's a lot of different changes proposed for the Juneau area, for the Aquan area, and that we wanted to make sure that, you know, that the public is able to participate in those processes, but also that there's coordination across our community. Because if you were to make all those changes, this would be a totally different place. And we should be able to participate in the decision-making in and the public process in order to decide whether that's what we all want. And the answer might be yes, and the answer might be no, and the answer might be I want some of those things, but not all of them. And I think most people would probably end up in that area. But we want this role is going to be tasked making sure that that conversation is happening and asking questions of the city government or the state government uh, to understand the implications of big development changes uh, for our community. So we're super excited about that. Uh, and that position is being advertised now. It is based out of Juneau. This is not a remote job because it's focusing on the Juneau area, the Aquan area. Um, and uh, applications, the desired start date is at the end of November, kind of as soon as we can. Uh, and applications submitted by the end of the day next week on Wednesday, that's the day after everyone goes to the polls to vote, uh, will be considered for our first round of interview. So, yeah, we'd love to see applications from the community for the, that position or for the part-term admin position. Well, thank you for the update today, Meredith. We are out of time. I wish I could give you a moment to add something, but I will just say thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks so much for the time.